And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, lots of snark, and the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on, including... A picture I posted yesterday asking the musical question, what's wrong with this picture? It was of a landscape. So if you have Facebook nearby, go to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred page, take a look at that picture, and think about, well, what's wrong with this picture? Some people who have replied on there say they see nothing wrong with that landscape. Others have pretty well spotted the problem. But uh, you make your own judgment. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I say we because... Here in the studio with me from El Dorado Nursery and Gardens in Shingle Springs, Juliet Voigtlander, and there's no H in it. Juliet, I keep wanting to spell <laughs> your name with my an life. H. Yes, <laughs> Juliet Voigtlander, El Dorado Nursery and Garden owner there at 3931 Durock Road in Shingle Springs. Springtime at a nursery. Merry Christmas. It's crazy. Yes. Well, it's that's crazy. a good thing. There is not enough of me to go around as well as my employees. Yesterday, I... I mean, I walked my hounds, so that was quite a bit of walking. I had 8.5 miles on my Fitbit. And I was in the office quite a bit taking care of, you know, ringing people up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not, we can get on a Saturday easily 10 miles walking around the nursery. I, oh, yeah, I bet so. Oh, yeah. And especially you, a person that doesn't like to sit. Yeah, yesterday was torture. I had to finish up some jobs. You mean sitting down? Sitting down, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't do it. I know. You don't do that. No. That's good. You're, an, you're a hands-on owner. I'm a run-around crazy owner right now. Okay. Yeah, thank God I have great employees. And what are those great employees selling right now? What, what's Do you know stock? what? Um, I'm going to imagine today they're selling a lot of veggies. Mm-hmm. They're selling a lot of annuals, a lot of perennials. The dogwoods were going out like crazy. The maples are going out like crazy. Um, conifers kind of slowed down right now because people really put those in in the wintertime. Right. But I'm going to say shrubs are going out. People are tired of looking at dead, and they're tired of looking at empty spaces. Are they thinking of the future when they're buying these shrubs, or are they just buying things that are in bloom right now? Both. Um, You know, obviously, if it's in bloom, it's very impulsive and it sells. I mean, all the blooming azaleas are gone. They were. Uh, People want low water. They ask for low water. But then when you lead them towards low water, they're migrating back towards what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And I was noticing when I was driving here, people plant what they see in commercial landscapes in the street medians, yet the state is not putting California natives in the street medians. So it's hard to sell native plants when people don't see them planted in commercial and median landscapes. I understand completely. And biking as much as I do uh, throughout uh, Sacramento, Placer, and El Dorado counties, especially this time of year, I have come to a new conclusion about the most overplanted shrub in our area because it's in bloom right now. And the aroma is not necessarily a nice aroma, but it's not a terrible aroma. It's just like, what's that type of aroma? And I'm talking about Photinia. Oh, I was thinking Raphaelepis um, because that's everywhere too. But yeah, life is too short for Photinia. (laughs) Actually, on my drive here, there's a house on Eureka Road, and it's a huge fence line, and they've planted... 
They're, I think they were one-gallon photinias. They're a foot from the fence, and they're planted 18 inches apart on center. Oh, a jungle. And this is the same home that had coast redwoods on the other side of the fence that were planted five feet apart that all died during the drought. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to be nice and not say, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Uh, photinias, for those who don't know, is, is a very nice shrub. It can get 18 to 25 feet tall. The new growth that comes out on it is red leaves. It's very pretty. And then it blooms this time of year, white flowers on panicles. And they attract a lot of, or the umbels, I forget. Umbels are panicles. And it attracts a lot of bees, and it's nice. But the aroma is an acquired taste, if I may mix a metaphor there. It's uh, kind of like flowering pear. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like flowering pear, which I've always compared to bee vomit. For an odor. Not that I know what bee vomit smells like. It's a weird smell. Yeah, it's a, it's just a strange smell. But you're right about the India hawthorn. That is a lower growing shrub. And right now, some are just festooned in color. They're you know, it's loaded. actually, it's not a bad shrub. It's a great shrub for someone who doesn't want a lot of landscaping. I have them in my yard because I love the pink in the, this time of year. The bees are all happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't be my first choice in some landscapes. I like some of the newer varieties instead of the older varieties. It does get some leaf spot in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the um, a lot of minor, the white one. Mm, okay. It's tight, stays clean, stays neat, blooms white. Deep, deep green foliage doesn't seem to get the leaf spot. Okay. You know, another a, a native plant, two native plants that I see blooming along the bike trail right now, that if you have the room, the sun, and a propensity for putting up with a plant that may not look great 10 months a year, but it looks great now, uh, the flannel bush and monkey flower. Flannel bush, I put in a landscape last year, and they did absolutely fantastic, and they're incredible. Mm-hmm. Mimulus is a hard sell. They love the living on the levee. Yeah. Kind of hard to keep them alive in a landscape. We can do it. It can be done. It's great for people who want to create like a butterfly bee habitat. Right. Yeah. Um, and monkey flower has beautiful yellow blooms for the most part. And so you mentioned they like it on a levee, which uh, tells me they like good drainage. I think they need good drainage, and they like it hot. They need, you know... some water Mm because right now the levees are getting a little bit of water so would it be a good companion plant with ceanothus depending on the variety of ceanothus yes okay yeah one of the topics we're going to talk about on today's program are common landscaping mistakes i think we just touched on several uh right there Um, and there's a lot of monkey see monkey do landscaping going on you see what your neighbor does and you go oh it grows here i'll plant that and that's how you end up with a block full of say photinia plants or a block full of loripetalum, or a block full of whatever. Well, you can also tell a landscape. Um, you can tell when it was landscape by the plant trends. Yes. You know, everybody <laughs> planted formiums in the late 80s yeah. up to the 90s. Formiums, New Zealand flax. Yeah, yeah which we, we barely sell them at all anymore. It's... Which is too bad because I think it has its place because it has those sword-like leaves, long sword-like leaves. It's got sort of a tropical look to it. And I found it's a great screening plant to hide swimming pool equipment and add a sort of a tropical touch to that area around your swimming pool. You just have to get the right variety for your size because, you know, right. some of the old ones, they got huge. Right. You know, there's some newer ones that are that are nice. I, I like the ones that are kind of the green and cream and pink in them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, variability out there and with these newer varieties. There's a lot of exciting plants. In fact, a little bit later on in the program, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, the folks out at the All-America Selections winners, and we'll be uh, previewing the 2018 uh, plant winners of new varieties that are out there that uh, just, just look fabulous. Uh, you want to answer some questions? Yes, do All it. All right. Numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Don in West Sacramento, thanks for holding on. Hi, Don. Yeah, hi. Uh, I've got a uh, tree, I think it's a cross between a Mariposa and a Santa Rosa, and it doesn't seem to have any fruit on it, and it's about three years old now. All right, so we're talking a Santa Rosa plum, right? Well, it's a plum no, tree. No, I think it's a, it's a cross between the two, is it? Well, but it is a plum tree, correct? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, just wanted to verify that. So it's a cross between the two. All right, and so it doesn't. How old is it? But I'd say three years old. Uh, might, Juliet might take a little bit more patience. I was going to say, it might be a little too young if it was like a whip when you got it. Well, it's got about a, oh, I'd say about a three-inch trunk on it, or maybe four. Okay, well, and, looking, oh. I'm looking up the information on uh, the Mariposa, and it's a, basically an, an improved Satsuma. Okay. And medium to large red, reddish-purple-skinned, red-streaked amber flesh, Heart sweet with rich flavor. 400 chill hours or less, that's good. That's low chill. And it, it is by itself self-fruitful. The Santa Rosa plum is also self-fruitful, but it sounds like it's a good combo with the Mariposa. And uh, it, too, is a very low chill, 300 hours. So, I, yeah, Don, I think giving it a little bit more time might be uh, prudent. So uh, call us back next year. Okay. Uh, the, if it is a, truly a hybrid between the two or some sort of graft a, i think it's a hybrid between the two all right are, is it a graft maybe there are two trees in one no it's just a single okay and well ten rows are, are planted next to it i think it's supposed to have a be cross pollinated with a santa rosa plum yeah i have a santa and a mariposa yeah mariposa by itself would be self-fruitful but does get a better fruit set if there is a santa rosa nearby i think you just need a little bit more patience don and how how um what are you feeding it have you fertilized it no but it's going great well my question is is it might not need nitrogen and it might need from some phosphorus for some flower production and fruit production it didn't have too many flowers on it of course it rained during the time it was flowering is it growing in full sun Yes. Okay. If it's growing in full sun, that means you should get pretty good fruit production. Uh, but, yeah, you're right there about the March weather, kind of throwing things for a loop, knocking off flowers. And, and that could be a problem, too, with pollination this year as well. So, again, another good reason to wait a year. Okay, Don? Okay. All right. Thanks for your- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, patience is uh, an easy uh, cure for a lot of things well in a three-year-old fruit tree unless you started with a really big caliper yeah. you might not get fruit exactly if that uh when you planted it three years ago if it was a half inch caliper it could easily take three to five years before it bears fruit so yeah, patience is key when it comes to gardening just like raising kids all right we'll take a short break more of get growing on the way on talk 650 kste 
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Juliet Voigtlander from Eldorado Nursery and Garden in Shingles Springs. We're answering your gardening questions, offering up landscape tips, answering the question, what's wrong with this picture? As far as landscaping mistakes that uh, people commonly make that uh, with a little bit of thought and foresight can be avoided. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But first up, let's answer some more questions that you're phoning in. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Who's up first here? It is Sue in Rockland. Hi, Sue. Hi there. Hi. Julia mentioned fabric um, weed cloth. I had to have some French drains put in, so... And I'm on a, I have a retaining wall, and they put this fabric on the upside of the retaining wall. And now I can't get any mulch to stay there. The minute it gets wet, it all runs downhill. What do you recommend? Yes, I would like to hear the answer to that, too. (laughs) And I see a lot of people doing that, putting down landscape fabric on a hillside and putting mulch on top. And I'm wondering, how does it stay put? after wind and rain and yet on some of these landscapes that i see that are done like that it seems to be staying in place hmm. well you almost put your bark on a slip and slide when you think about it yeah um That's right. i have there's there's a couple things you can do i have seen people put jute netting down and oh. the newer jute netting is a smaller grid and then you put the bark on top of it and that kind of buys you a little time oh. for the plants to grow and the bark to stay put. So you put down the landscape fabric, then the jute netting on top of that, and then and then the bark, and then the bark. So the the jute netting probably has openings, what half inch or so? No, they're they're actually about two by three inches. Oh, two rather big. Yeah, okay. it used to be like four inch, and now it's much. I notice it's smaller now, and I have seen people do that, um, especially kind of in the El Dorado Hills area. Mm-hmm. They're doing that. Um, there's another, and you want to be sure you're using like a good shredded cedar or a gorilla hair that will lay flat once it gets wet, so it kind mm-hmm. of sticks together. That is the benefit of using the shredded mulch is that it, it tends to lay down better as opposed to the the more uh, rockier. Well, it has like little bark. stickies. It like kind of sticks to each yeah, other, right, you know, because yes. it's shredded. You can get splinters. Uh, you can get splinters. Uh, there is a product out there called Mulch Lock, M-U-L-C-H Lock, L-O, like mulch lock. Mm-hmm. And it's meant for use. Use it's a glue, yeah, and you actually <laughs> you spray it on. The mulch has to be dry. You spray it on, and it holds the mulch in place. Um, and I actually used it on my front. What used to be my front lawn that we took out before my daughter got married, and we put in all those drought tolerant plants. It actually worked. It held it in place until the plants grew, which was what I needed. Um, we sell it. It's glue. It does work. Once it rains, it doesn't work anymore so most people will do it after the rainy season it buys them until about october and you spray the top of the mulch you spray the top of the mulch i would think you'd spray the landscape fabric then put the mulch on top of that no no you actually spray you spread the mulch out and then you spray it and then it sets in place the mulch needs to be dry and and it it does work Um, i know people who will do it before like, you know, like after we're done with the rain in May, usually we don't have a lot of rain in May. Right. And then they'll do it all the way through October so they don't have to deal with it. It does also help with if you have a mow and blow gardener who huh. mows really hard and the mulch gets, you know, moved all over the place, which you can always tell them to tone it down. But unfortunately, landscape fabric on a hillside is not the best choice. 
Yeah, well, we really didn't have much of a choice once the everything was tore up for the French drains. And I did use the shredded cedar, but I, I have never used the gorilla uh, mulch. So maybe if I get the gorilla mulch plus the glue, because I'm trying to establish um, uh, ground cover on this mm-hmm. hill and I wanted to keep mulch around them, you know, for uh, moisture. Sure. Well, it seems like a combination of the jute netting and maybe that mulch lock might be. A, it might. It might, it might help, help you to yeah. get through. You know, I'd wait till the end of the rain, which you're going to okay. have to. Um, it comes in a spray. You have once you open the container, that you do have to spray the whole thing out. Oh. Um, okay. But it's about twenty five, thirty dollars. It's not a bad investment. How much okay. does it cover? 1,500 square feet, I think. Oh, okay. I actually used it on my gravel parking space in front of my yard when we first put it in. We we did it to keep it from getting torn up, and it did work. Use a hose and sprayer? No, it comes in a self-contained. Oh, okay. You 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 take it up to your garden hose? No, no. You pump it up, and you you do it. Oh, okay. Okay. And yeah, we have it at the nursery. Um, I don't know if... It's probably not organic. It's glue. (laughs) It's it's basically like an Elmer's glue. All right. Okay. All right. I'll I'll check with Green Acres, and if not, I'll, you'll see me at your store. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the help. Okay. All right, Sue. Thanks for Bye-bye. calling. Appreciate Bye. that. Well, that solves a mystery I've had in my life because I could never stand, understand how this mulch on a hillside, and some of these are steep hillsides in Folsom, how this mulch is staying in place knowing that it's been put on top of landscape fabric. Well, hopefully they're putting jute underneath it. I mean, yeah. we just did a job in El Dorado, and we have a really steep slope until – the ground cover that will root along will hold it in place. And we, we, we double juted because the, they really wanted landscape fabric. And because it is a, a fairly wide uh, mesh, then if it's two by three, that gives you a chance to put in some ground covers yeah. from yeah. smaller containers to get established. Now, how do you do that? Can you spray the mulch lock after you've put plants in? You can. You just you really don't want to spray the plants. No, no. So so it, it's kind of a two person job. It's right. it's not that easy to do. I mean, I I did it, but so you, so you have I'm one person you have one person going around with a big piece of cardboard to protect uh, the plant from the glue that you're spraying, and they walk around the plant and protect it with the cardboard while you spray around it. It, it really the key is you really want to do it when the plants are young, mm-hmm. so you're not having that issue. But yeah, no, it, it's a two person job. Okay. All right. But that sounds like, uh, boy, you learn something new on the show every day. I like that. All right. Uh, where do we go from here? Let's go to Garden Valley. Talk with Roberta on Get Growing. Hi, Roberta. Well, good morning, Fred and Juliet. Good morning. And my dad always said, there's always something new to learn. <laughs> every day. Yeah. And as my grandfather would say, education costs money. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> Just it, listen. it costs. Just listen. Listen to your elders. <laughs> hey, that's worked so well in all these centuries, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. So here, here's my question. I am repotting bare root black cherry and a O. Henry peach. And I'm putting them in the containers because they're going to be fruit bushes. Okay. So... um I really don't want to go out there and dig a a hole in my yard and put it there. I'm going to put them, I was thinking about plastic, but I'm thinking about um, uh, half-line girls. Okay, good idea. A little more decorative. Yeah. And um, 
I need to go out and get additional potting soil to put these things in because I'm not really going to use the native red dirt. I call El Dorado red. Yes, not in a pot, no. No, never. No, no. So I'm wondering what should I go look for? All right, so it's a, it's one's going to be a peach tree and the other's going to be a blackberry? No, the other one is a Lappin cherry. Oh, a Lappin cherry. Okay, not a blackberry. A Lappin cherry. Okay. Lappin cherry. It's a self-fertile. Right. Yeah. So, I guess, are you asking them what would be a recommended soil mix for that? Yeah, I need okay. I need to go out and get soil to make up the 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 rest of what's the half wine barrel because you know I I got this from. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Major nursery. Okay. <laughs> cool. okay, but don't forget uh, to put the, some. Uh, don't forget to put some uh, drain holes in those uh, wine barrels. Oh yes, of course. Okay, absolutely. Like four or five three, big ones, three quarter inch or one inch drain holes. In the oh yeah, there. no problem there. All right, <laughs> and make sure that the bottom of the uh, container does not sit flat on the soil. You want to raise it up a half inch or so, so that yep. there's no trouble or with a clog happening. No, right. I, I got some two-by-fours to set them up. Okay, you, you got it going then. All right, so, Juliet, we'll do this as diplomatic as possible. What soil, potting soil mixes would you sell at El Dorado Nursery and Garden that you would be steering people towards? Okay, I'm a soil mixer. I know that there are bags of soil that you can yeah. plant just in, but I, I like to mix my soil. Um, I have a lot of fruit trees in containers, big ones. I use a combination of the Garden and Bloom potting soil, mm-hmm. the, okay. gar- the Garden and Bloom planting mix, and then I also like the EB Stone Fur Mulch as my top dressing because mm, okay. it gives you a little manure and a little acid. Um, and, you know, don't treat your soil like dirt. You want to buy a high-quality potting soil. Don't rush off and buy super soil. It's really crappy. No, no. Can you say that on the air? Sorry. Well, you just did. That's okay. <laughs> it's not my no. favorite soil. We Our soil products are formulated in California for California soils, which is why we're pretty strong on on the companies that we buy from. So I would do a mixture. I don't know, is what's your local nursery up there in Garden Valley? I mean, you're, well, not, you're not that far from me. It would be a beautiful drive. No, I'm not, I'm not that very far from you, and I've come and bought uh, plants from you in the past. So maybe I'll run into you tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the other there's a new product. Um, Cell, Kellogg's has a soil-building conditioner that's mm-hmm. formulated for clay soils, but I also like it as a top dressing. Top dressings keep the weeds down. I top dress a lot of my pots. It keeps the moisture in there. Um, the soil building conditioner is another nice product, too. I just if, bought some and uh, did top dressing on my vegetable beds. Yeah, that's what yeah, I do. Yeah. Doing that next week. Yeah. So, so there you okay. go, Roberta. You've been very helpful. Thank you so much. It's a very helpful show today. I like that. Thank you. I love calling in. All, <laughs> All right. right. Bye-bye. All right. You, you people on hold, continue to hold, and we'll take a short break and come back with more with Juliet Voigtlander from El Dorado Nursery and Garden as we continue with Get Growing on this April the 15th right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. If you know your tomatoes, you should be able to answer the question. But we'll have that at 11. Details to follow. Juliet Voigtlander is here. 
from El Dorado Nursery and Garden in Shingle Springs. You're open seven days a week, aren't you? We are open seven days a week, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and Sunday, 10 to 4. So you're open right now. But they're all there. I'm here. Yeah. Sitting down. Oh, yes, yeah. I'm sorry that you have to sit down. <laughs> you don't seem to mind too much, though. No, I'm doing great. All right. Let's go back to the phones, answer some more garden questions. Terry's running the board today, 916-576-1578, 866-331-8255. Amy in Sacramento, thanks for holding. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering, um, why is it too late for chicken manure? That's a good question, and you are referring to a statement we made over on the KFBK Garden Show about application of fertilizers, and we were discussing uh, adding nitrogen to the soil, and we were talking about steer manure, and I mentioned chicken manure, and Juliet, you said it may be a little too late for that. And and this is where, you know, it's all kind of how you feel about it. Right. Um, I was trained that chicken manure is really used in the fall, and Mother Nature reigns it in because chicken manure runs hot. So you can burn baby roots. Um, steer manure is not as hot, so it doesn't burn. You can add steer manure, water, and then plant. Um, you know, for the foothills, you got plenty of time because we're not planting in the foothills for about another couple of weeks. So I have some old timers or coming a month. in. Or a month, yeah. yeah. I mean, higher up the hill. Yeah. I have some old timers who came in yesterday, bought chicken manure. They're going to spread it out, let Mother Nature rain it in, till it in, and then they'll be ready to go. But they're talking a month out. So it, it can be done. It, I would probably advise you against it this late, if you're, especially because you're in Sacramento and you're probably going to be planting. I would be using steer. Now, the good news is if you opened up all those bags and piled it up and let it sit out for a month or so, it'd probably be fine. Oh, yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, just, if you they're don't just mind, hot in the bag. Yeah, if you don't mind raccoons and skunks and possum in your yard, you know, it'd be, it'd be fine. Or you can, if you have some chicken manure, you could probably make it into a manure tea and water it in. Yeah, you could do that, too. So, yeah, it, it's it, because it does tend to uh, be hot. Now, I noticed that some chicken manure that is sold, it says well-aged. Ours is a well-aged product. It's, yeah, it's pretty black and crumbly. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing, doesn't right, pose as much risk as, say, fresh chicken manure. R- right. Yeah. I mean, especially with all the backyard chicken people right mm-hmm. now. And, yeah. And, you know, you got to be careful on that. It's got well-aged means it sat somewhere for quite a while. Yep. All right. So if it's in a potting mix, it's okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, because it, then it's aged. Oh, okay. And then I have another question. Um, I have a um, volunteer tree. I've had a couple, but anyway, um, um, it's about a foot tall now. Um, no, t- about two feet tall. Anyway, um, how far do you have to dig to get the root out before you're sure that it's not going to come back? Uh, it'll always come back. You just have to be whacking it back all the time until it stops coming back because roots can live for a few years, and they'll keep sending up sprouts. Of course, it depends on the type of tree it is. But If you, uh, if, if you keep digging, and you know, how much can you leave in there? Do you know what it is, what type of tree it is? I don't know. Um, I, I have a lot of volunteer eastern redbuds in my yard, and they're, they're pretty tenacious. I don't know how they get through mm-hmm. the granite-based soil. You can dig down get as much as you can. When it starts to come up, you can do a fresh cut and then mm. dab it with some herbicide, and that will help stop it. Mm. Now, I used to have 14 liquid ambers in the backyard. They don't exist anymore, but there are still roots in there, and it's springtime, and new sprouts keep coming up. But not as many as last year, because last year, as I would see them, I keep a sharp hoe handy in the backyard, 
And whenever I see, I basically walk around with the hoe, and when I see one of those sprouts, I just chop it off uh, at, as low as I can get, usually at soil level, and then cover it all up with mulch. And you'll get fewer sprouts the following year, and then fewer the following year after that, until eventually it gives up the ghost. Oh. <laughs> It's just work. It's what do you want? It's work, you know. I don't want to work. <laughs> you don't want to work. Oh, well, it's better than keeping a two-foot tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get it out of there because yeah. next year you'll be calling. It'll be a four-foot tree or a five-foot tree. Yeah. So the sooner no. you get on it, the better. Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right, Amy. Bye bye. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know the feeling well. You go into your yard to do something, and. For instance, okay, let's say, okay, I got this two-foot volunteer coming up. I need to get rid of that. So I'm going to go to the garage and and get my pruning saw. So on my way to the garage, I'm passing something else in the yard. Oh, look at that. I need to pull that weed. And then you start pulling weeds. And then, oh, hey, there's aphids on that plant. I better get a spray to or wash off the leaves to get the aphids off. And before you know it, it's dinner time, and you've never taken that tree out yet. You know, I'm a, a list writer, so I write what I want to do in my yard. But Mm -hmm. then I lose my focus because I have an acre. And you have a list. And I have a list. (laughs) And so what I do is my kids laugh at me is I put on the list what I did that I wasn't supposed to do Mm -hmm. so I can cross it off. There you go. But mom, it doesn't matter. It wasn't on the list. It doesn't matter. I feel better crossing it off. Put a gold star on my forehead. It makes me feel like I got a lot more accomplished than I did. There you go. Yes. And keep it as part of your garden diary. And then maybe if you refer to it over the wintertime, you know when certain problems are going to pop up and you can get a head start on it. That's too much foresight, isn't it? You know, I, I could work every day <laughs> in my yard and, and and not get caught up. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. Oh, I'll do it every day. Shoot, if I didn't have to go to work, I'd be in my yard every day. Yeah. But, and then I get to go to my big yard. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yes. All right, we'll take a short break. Back, we'll answer more of your questions uh, besides the phone questions at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. We'll delve into the email you've been sending to fred at farmerfred.com. I see questions here about asparagus and more questions about chicken manure, so we'll get to all that when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Juliet Voigtlander from Eldorado Nursery and Gardens in Shingle Springs, answering your gardening questions, uh, getting set for the Garden Grappler coming up in a few minutes. Let's go back to the phones, answer some questions. Who's been on hold since Gray Davis was governor? It's Edie in Sacramento. Hi, Edie. Hi, Fred. Um, I wondered, I have a Meyer lemon that just grows like a wild bush. And uh, I wonder when is a good time, if there is such a thing, to prune it. Uh, 10 a.m. Okay. Anytime, huh? Well, I think the only time you wouldn't prune a citrus is in August. Maybe, well, August would be okay, but September or early October when it's going to put out new growth because the weather is still warm and then freezes happen and that could kill off the new growth. But uh, basically, anytime I think in our area from, oh, February to August would be fine. Okay. Okay. Very good. That's all I need to know. Thank you very much. Okay. You want to add to that? No, I agree. I agree. All right. Thanks. All right. Where do we go from here? We go to Charles in Sacramento. Hi, Charles. Hi. Good afternoon, Fred. Uh, We have a break. 
Yeah. <laughs> Live a braver apple tree and wondering if there's anything we could do to avoid any moth infestation <sighs> that might turn to worm pitting. Sure. Do you, um, do you have any easy questions, though? Yeah, I was going to say you can put a codling moth trap out, but yeah. the timing is crucial um, on that. If you Google the phrase coddling moth and UCIPM, which stands for University of California Integrated Pest Management. So if you Google coddling moth, UCIPM, you can get charts filled with growing degree days and all sorts of information about the timing for setting out these pheromone traps to capture okay. a coddling moth. The other option is bagging each piece of fruit. And there are directions okay. and there are directions in there on how you can do it. If you if this is a, a great example of why backyard orchard culture of keeping a tree, a fruit tree at six or seven feet makes a heck of a lot of sense because if it is a case where you want to bag the fruit, then at least everything will be within reach. Got it, got it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Good luck. It's uh, Coddling moth is a big issue and has been for uh, several years now. And with more people getting apple trees in, there are more coddling moths around. And they have a range where if you live in suburbia, uh, that coddling moth could be coming from anywhere in suburbia to your house. You just have to eat the apples in the dark. Okay. That works. I like that. Yeah, or you're 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 feeding your family apple slices and throwing yeah. away the slice with the uh, frass in it. Yeah, I mean, I, you get them. We put traps out. It happens. Yeah, you know, bugs happen. Exactly. Apples are becoming, I won't say an endangered species in our area, but as we seem to be going to a pattern of fewer and fewer chill hours per year, there's fewer and fewer apple varieties that can take low chill. Uh, conditions that we seem to be having more and more of. So it may come to the day where we're going to have a lot of Southern California-type apples, like the ones you would see growing in Julian, east of San Diego, in our area, and we wouldn't be able to grow things. But in the time being, the safest ones probably to plant here would be, what, Fuji and Granny Smith. Fuji's popular. uh, Gala's popular. um, Honeycrisp is probably one that everybody loves. I have struggled I'm on my third Honeycrisp no, in my yard. It, and it's have, not for here. And I have it not really been isn't. able to get it to be happy. Yeah, um, it likes it colder. Yeah, it's just not happy here. Yeah. I have a Granny Smith. I have a, what, the old Apple Tower. You remember the Apple Tower? Yeah, uh-huh. I have an Apple Tower, and the apples are actually pretty good. Okay. We still have, we have some at the nursery, and people buy them. They're great for columnar small areas. Yep. And then the Espaliate apples. They're a great one. I, I have people use it as their fence in their veggie garden to separate out areas. Do you have examples of espaliate apples at the nursery? Yeah, we do. We have, um, we sell every one that we get. Yeah. So we do have quite a few still up there in the nursery, the apples and the pears. If you want to see some good examples of espaliate fruit trees, head to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, uh, especially on their workshop days when that portion of the garden is open, and you can see some great examples of what they've done with all sorts of different types of fruit and espaliers. I was going to suggest going to Monticello because they have them there, too. Yes, you could do that as well. Just uh, you're going to have to fill up with gas a few more A long times. drive. Yeah, it is a long drive to that. But, uh, yeah, basically uh, it you can grow fruit trees in a two-dimensional basis. You can. It works. Yeah. Just uh, make sure there's room between you and the fence to get back there. All right, back to the phones we go. Jan in Grass Valley, welcome to Get Growing. Hi. Hi. 
So um, my question is, I was listening earlier on KFBK and you were talking about um, irrigation on fruit trees and the inline emitters. Right. So I have a three-year-old small orchard and when it was installed, he put one emitter on each tree. So one spray. And oh, so, no, wait a minute. Is, is it, it spray or drip? Yeah. No, they are sprayers. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and so they emit 12 gallons per hour. Okay. That's going at so, full speed. Yeah, that's a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I did measure to see if, you know, if, if they really do emit like that um, last summer. It depends on your water pressure, the length of the line. There's a lot of variables right. when it comes to that kind of delivery. Right. But my question is, um, I've read that you should have more Equal, I mean, really more around the circumference, which is the the reason for the inline emitters. Do am I hurting the trees by only having e, an emitter on one side? Is it tree? is it a three sixty spray or one eighty spray or what is it? It it is a three sixty spray. All right, well that's not bad. But what I like to use on mine when I'm using sprayers, and I've done this in my own orchards, is having 180-degree sprays, but on either side of the tree, facing outward, not on the outside spraying in, but placed maybe halfway between the trunk and the outer canopy of the tree and have them Uh spraying going outwards, one on either side of the tree, and, of course, having a lot of mulch down to help preserve soil moisture. Right, right, which I I do do that. But I So my question is, should I try and change what he did, which would mean digging up the, the, the tubing line to the, you know, to the larger line. Right, yeah, to the half-inch line. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do, uh, in order to, uh, to attach a, a secondary emitter or exactly. sprayer to the main That's line, what I would have to do. you would have to find the line and, and punch a hole. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a three-year-old orchard. How is it doing? Um, well, last year, uh, with all the rain and, you know, talking about planting proud, which I thought that I did, I did lose some because I think part of it was they drowned. Um, they were young and I think they got too much water. And it depends Uh, on the type of tree too. There are some fruit trees that really need it dry and should be planted on the higher portion of, of soil, such as cherry trees and apples, whereas... You can put pears tend to the lower area where water might settle. See, and it was my pears that I lost. Oh, that's too I much water. Two. Yeah, and they were actually on the the higher end. Well, what did um, they succumb to though? Because you could with. I mean, pears, do you have gophers? Do you have, you know? Did you have fire blight? We no, no fire blight. Um, we do have gophers, but they're caged. So there's large cages that they were set into. Oh, you mean the trees, not the gophers. <laughs> You're funny, Fred. No, that'd be fun. That'd be great having having a gopher zoo <laughs> on your property. Well, you know, I mean, it could be. There's so many reasons why plant plants die. So I, I guess I'm a little confused on why you want to change the system. That is it well, working? Because it's a it's a no, 360 it's so- sprayer, so it should be watering. A whole circle around the tree, right? Well, but it's only on one side, and and as the trees get bigger, it's not going to. I mean, the 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 spray only reaches probably 
12 or, I mean, it doesn't, 12 inches, oh. 18 inches. It's not. So it's not it's a spray. Not, is, is it? Is oh, it more, it's one of those little like fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Those little. Yeah. yeah. The easiest solution would be to switch out those uh, fingers of water with with sprays, actual mini sprayers. Yeah. That Micro-spray. that that can shoot water out ten feet or so. They're, they go on little okay. stakes. Yeah, they go on stakes. So they run off spaghetti tubing or yeah. the quarter inch tubing to a stake. That's what I use. I use one yeah. eighties because my trees are in a fence line area. Yeah. And there's a lot of good sprayers out there that'll give you a three sixty pattern and deliver twelve gallons per hour. Where do you live? Grass, Grass Valley. Grass Valley. You could probably go to Peaceful Valley. Oh yeah, I'd go to Peaceful some. Valley and yeah. tell them you want some micro sprayers, and you know, depending on how your orchard is set up, like Fred was saying, the one eighties going opposite mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. I have mine on the uphill side because I'm against a fence line. Yep. Jan, we have to run here, but uh, good okay. good luck with the irrigation system. All right, thank All right. you so much. All right, okay. we're going to get set for the garden grappler that's coming up, and Juliet will be judging the quality of your answers. We have some nice prizes today, so stick around for the garden grappler, part of hour two of Get Growing, coming up on this April the 15th, right here on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. <laughs> Continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet if you are up on your tomato names. And hopefully we will not give any answers away during this little brief setup period. Today's question is name a tomato variety that includes a person's name. Name a tomato variety that includes a person's name. Without giving anything away, my guest, Voigtlander over here, will be judging the quality of your answers. <laughs> and the numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Terry, you ready in there? All right, he's ready to jot down names and addresses. First five callers who can name a tomato variety that includes a person's name gets a prize. Special bonus prize for Caller 5, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Voigtlander, you ready? I'm ready. All right, so people call in, and while you're doing that, uh, we'll um, talk about something that isn't tomato-like. So we'll delve into the email that you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And John from Turlock writes in, he says, I have always used bags of chicken manure for fertilizing my fruit trees and vegetable garden and have always had good results. However, I have noticed that steer manure is about half the price of chicken manure. Can you see any difference in the two if I switched? Well, generally speaking, steer manure has slightly less NPK than chicken manure. Yeah, it is. It's not as hot. Right. Nitrogen is a little bit lower. There's nothing wrong with that. Though. Nothing wrong with it at all. Yeah. And it's cheaper because it's cheaper. the size of the <laughs> it's size of the animal. Size of the animals. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is what it is, guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes perfect sense. All right. So, yeah, um, there's nothing well, wrong with so that. Well, so it's cheaper, yes, but you use more steer manure than you do chicken manure. So you got to compare apples to apples. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get the nitrogen level up, you might need to use more steer than you would chicken. Right. I guess in that case, read and follow all label directions. All directions. Yes, because they're on there. Do you remember the old days? You remember the old days, sweetheart? I what, do. Okay. I remember growing up in North Hollywood, and you didn't grow up too far from there either. Up in Encino. Okay. Every spring, it seemed like every 
person on the block would coat their lawn, their front lawns, in steer manure. You're right, except my mother. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and you, that aroma would be with you all the way to church or school. <laughs> yeah, they would. It would. And I don't know, did they? the dads do it or did they use a push by? I mean, how did they get it out there so even? Yeah, we had neighbor. I had a neighbor with a dichondra lawn on one side, so they yeah. didn't. Okay. But then on the other side, they did. And it was, yeah, no, everybody did it. Yeah, and you're right. I can't remember. I don't think my dad had a sprayer or a spreader. Yeah, I don't know how they did it. I mean, just maybe he just opened the bags up, spread it out, and raked it. Maybe you, around. yeah, maybe you raked it in. Yeah. Yeah. But it would sit there. And what was the purpose of that? You know, maybe they didn't want to use the the bags of fertilizer. Maybe that's what they use. I mean, it's a more organic way to do it. Well, let's face it. Way back then, there wasn't that much in the way of synthetic fertilizer. No, there wasn't. There was Bandini steer manure, as yeah, far as yeah, I remember. I think you're right, yeah. And it's like you'd spread it on the lawn, and maybe if you were smart, you turned on the sprinklers to help water it in, and maybe it ran down the gutter, maybe it didn't. And uh, but the aroma was uh, intoxicating. It was pretty strong. Yeah. You know, we always had a compost pile. My mom was pretty organic and mm. kind of hippie like. So we and always Encino. had. Encino. Oh, yeah. My mother yeah. was way ahead of her time with okay. with the organics. Um, I mean, hence the never having a piece of white bread until I was 50. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I had not ever eaten a piece of Wonder Bread until I was 50. And then I got cancer six months later. You see? Not you related, see? but not related. But <laughs> okay. it might have been the ham and Velveeta that somebody tried to feed me. Yeah. Um, there you go. Wow. But nope. Yeah. No, we lived, you know, the part of Encino that we lived in was by Tapia Brothers Farm, which was a huge agricultural farming area right by the Sepulveda Basin. Probably not there anymore. Still there, oh, actually. It is, it it is really? still there. They have fought long and hard. Wow, that must be worth a small fortune. It's, well, the downside is the Sopovoda Basin is the flood control. Oh, so it's in the flood basin? So it's in the flood basin oh, there, okay. yeah. All right. Well, still, they could be bought out with eminent domain or they something could. like that. Yeah. Well, okay. So we solved that issue. All right. Let's go to the phones. Let's find an, an answer, five answers to the question, name a tomato variety that includes a person's name. Remember, you can't repeat an earlier answer. Roberta is first up. Roberta in Garden Valley. So, Roberta, go ahead and give us a tomato variety featuring a person's name. Well, it's a beautiful uh, grape tomato, and it's called Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I can I can quit calling her Voigtlander now. We got that one done. The All only right. tomato you ever need to grow. Yes. Tell us. Oh, yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Well, good answer there, Roberta. So I'll be sending you, we have for everybody today, not only the Farmer Fred list of terrific tomato tips, but also from Our Water, Our World, how to keep rats and mice out of your home. So, oh, I, I just shoot them. I just shoot them. Okay. Well, that works. <laughs> Gold. And the cat get the rest. <laughs> okay, okay, dead eye. All right. Thanks, Roberta. All right, you folks have a good morning. All right. So, Afternoon. Juliet, go ahead and, and wax rhapsodic about the Juliet tomato. You know, I I love it. Um, I do a lot of canning, make a lot of sauce, um, make a lot of stewed tomatoes. I don't do anything to it. I throw, if I'm going to make sauce, I rinse them, I throw them in the crock pot. I cook them down with some tomato, some onions, some garlic, some herbs, and then we hot can them, hot water bath can them. When I stew them, I do the same thing. You cut them in half before? No, you can? I don't do anything to them. Well, I'm, when I'm making sauce after it's all cooked, yeah, then I grind it up. Just oh, put okay. one of those handheld blenders yeah. in there. Easiest way. You don't have to peel them. You don't have to seed them. They're, 
you don't do anything to them, and it is unbelievable. We have discovered that method too for a lot of other uh, smaller tomatoes, yeah. and it's easy peasy. You just you're basically canning cherry tomatoes. Yeah, you can can yeah. just throw them in there. Yeah, and by the way, Juliet was an All America Selections winner, I think, back in 1999. And it's a little bit bigger than a cherry tomato. Like you mentioned, it's a grape tomato. Yeah, I call it a small Roma. Yeah, it's a small Roma, but it's not. It's two bites as opposed to one bite of a tomato. If you're a greyhound, one bite. One bite. Yes. <laughs> All right, and it's sweet too, isn't it? It's a real. You can eat it right off the bush. Right, yeah, it's delicious. Right. Yeah, Julia, very popular tomato. I'm sure when you get it in the nursery, the the ones that you leave for your customers. Uh, I put in two every year. I I might put in another one this year because I'm really into the canning right now. Yeah, I've got a Juliet on my list too, so yeah. it's there. All right, so Juliet, we can cross that one off our list. An excellent. Uh, and as one, of, as you mentioned, it is one of those tomatoes that if you are looking for a I won't say a foolproof tomato, but one of the easiest to grow tomatoes and one that you're assured of getting good production throughout the year. Juliet is a good variety to have. Now, it's not a slicing tomato. It's a small tomato. Yes. But it's very good. All right. Call in number two in today's Garden Grappler. It's Christy in Sacramento. Hi, Christy. Good morning. Hi. So what uh, tomato variety with a person's name would you like to mention? Rosa de Bern. Rosa what was Rose's last name? Uh, it has, it's got three words. The middle is D-E and then last is Burn, B-E-R-N-E. Okay, that's a new one on me. Let me look it up here. There it is. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly large slicing tomato. Wow, it does yeah. not, it's not on my list. No, but, wait a minute, um, that's a different one. Where did you find this one? Uh, someone grew them from seed and I went and bought them from him. Uh, I bought them from uh, last year as well and it, in a semi-protected area, I had tomatoes through Thanksgiving. Huh. A few. Oh, so. and well, it's coming up. Wait a minute. I got it here. Uh, Where did the seeds come from? White Flower Farm has them. Rare seeds. Uh, the Rhymer's site has uh, the Rosa, Rose de Burn tomato. Baker Creek has it as well. So we're basically talking about an heirloom tomato here. And it, it's, it's a pretty good-sized tomato, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I'm looking at it here, and it looks like it's a... Uh, uh, four to eight ounce fruits, rose pink color, excellent sweet flavor that's made it a hit with many growers. The vine set good yields of this lovely variety from historic Switzerland. <laughs> there you go. The Rose de Burn tomato. Burn, I guess, like in Switzerland, burn. All right. Are you growing it this year? I am. Okay. I have another one, yeah. And it, does it tend to set fruit throughout the season or is it more of a determinate variety? Uh, I don't remember. I had so many tomato varieties. <laughs> Oh, now I'm now you made me feel sad, Christy. I don't know. I was so, and they got smaller towards the end of the season. So, okay. Uh, and well. of course, last year we had a lot of hot days, so I don't think I got the eight ounce fruit. Probably more than four ounce. All right. Okay. It's um, I'm reading some of the comments people are making about it. Uh, fruit is uniform in size, has a sweet tart balance, not overly acidic. Um, it's never disappointed. And the person says, I will plant this every year. My only advice is to remember that this is a pink tomato and don't let it over-ripen before harvesting. So it tends to get soft on the vine? It, it does. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of mushy at the end of the year. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, be vigilant about uh, picking them. All right. So there you go. That's one to add to your new list, folks. Rose de Burn tomato, an heirloom tomato. Good answer there, Christy. Also, I'll be sending you the uh, Farmer Fred Terrific Tomato Tips and how to keep rats and mice out of your home. Thank you. You're welcome, Christy. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. 
Uh, All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we will get to answers three, four, and five on today's Garden Grappler. Name a tomato variety that includes a person's name. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We are in the midst of the Garden Grappler looking for five people who can name a tomato variety that includes a person's name. Good answer so far. Uh, Roberta said Juliet, which is an excellent grape tomato. Karen said the Rose de Bern. That's a new one to us. Juliet Voigtlander is here. I'm glad we got Juliet out of the way first as far as the tomato variety so I can start calling you Juliet again. That's true. That's yeah. true. So so you're, you're judging this competition. So let's go move on to caller number three. It's Donna down in Merced. Donna, go ahead and give us a tomato variety that includes a person's name. Okay. How about uh, Aunt Jenny's purple? <laughs> That's what's on my page right now. I'm going to say thumbs up. All right. Tell us then, since it's on your page right now, tell us about Aunt Jenny's. All it says is rich flavor. <laughs> okay. That's all it gives me. I'm on, I can't tell you where I am because that makes it really easy for you guys to get the answer. All right. It's a funny website. But Aunt Jenny's uh, purple is an heirloom tomato. Yeah. I bet it's uh, purple. Think it is? I'm going to say it yeah, is. It probably purple is. Purple and yeah. it's. More than likely. All right. So it's a beefsteak, basically. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. It, it's a big one. Yeah. And uh, Donna, have you grown that? No, I haven't. All I'll right. have to try it. Okay. I was getting some information here about it, about uh, oh, Aunt Ginny's uh, purple tomato to see what people think of it. And it's a good sized tomato, that's for sure. It looks like it says here this heirloom beefsteak variety has flavor so excellent and rich that some folks claim it is equal to or better than. Another tomato variety whose name I won't mention uh, because it contains a person's name. Deep pink tomatoes weigh 12 to 16 ounces and are mostly smooth with very little cracking. Potato-leaved plants are vigorous and give give good yields of these juicy and delicious tomatoes. So Aunt Jenny's Purple. Good answer there, Donna. So I'll be sending you of the, my terrific tomato tips as well as the uh, from Our Water, Our World, How to Keep Rats and Mice Out of Your Home. Thank you very much. Thank you, Donna, for calling. Appreciate your support from way down in Merced. Tim in uh, Tim in Sacramento. Hi, Tim. Hi. How are you today? I'm fine. You're calling number four, so go ahead and uh, throw us at a uh, tomato variety with a person's name. Prudence Purple. Prudence Purple. Not to be confused with a Beatles song. Yeah, and oddly enough, it's not purple. But it's a good tomato. tastes good. Yeah. And it's got a potato leaf, which is kind of cool. I always try to grow some of those. I don't know why. Well, I, I can tell you why. I, was, I wanted to bring that up uh, with Juliet uh, before we forgot about it. And tomato-leafed uh, tomato plants, I think, offer a lot in our very hot climate, and that's more protection for the fruit from sunburn because it is a bigger leaf. Oh, that makes perfectly good sense. I just do it because I think the leaves are cool. Yeah, they are. The plant looks cool. So, yeah, don't don't uh, eat the leaves, of course, because no. everything in the Solanaceae family is poisonous. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not purple. It's funny. They're supposed to be really huge tomatoes, and maybe somewhere in the country they're huge, but mine never turn out that big. Huh. Okay. How big do they get? Uh, 
they're supposed to get up to a pound, and you know that's always the dream. You go out there, and there's this huge one-pound tomato that you can bring in. But for me, I think they turn out about maybe a half a pound. But they're very pretty. They got a little pleat to them, and they're tasty. They're just not purple. Okay. I well, and I wonder too why they're not getting to uh, the appropriate size if it's a, a longer growing season, or they need some sort of balance as far as nighttime temperatures and heat. I'm not really sure. I don't think I've ever grown a Prudence Purple Tomato, and now you got me wondering. Well, and you know, and I crowd my tomato plants like crazy. I mean, I grow 20 or 30 different kinds, and I don't have a ton of room, so I'll put a lot of them pretty close together. That could be part of it. That could be part of it, yes, if you're blocking out sun and also the battle for uh, water and nutrients in the soil, too. How close are you planting them together? Oh, I tend to get them pretty close, about 18 inches, maybe two feet. Yeah, you got a jungle. Yeah, that's pretty close. Oh, I do. And it grows about 12 feet high, and in the middle of these boxes I have, it grows over. You can walk through in a tunnel, be in complete shade. But I kind of like to get a little flavor of different tomatoes, so I grow just a lot of different ones, and it seems to work. I never water them. I think I watered my whole tomatoes last year three times, so that could be part of it, too. And, well, yeah. Uh, are they in raised beds, you said? They're in raised beds. Yeah. And I watered them when I planted them, and I watered them a month later, and then I watered them sometime in July, and I, no, I guess I watered them four times because I watered them sometime in September. I think but, you ought to change your name to Lucky Tim. I was going to say, yeah, because mine are getting watered on the drip system two or three times a week. Yeah. And yeah, no, I don't know why I never water my. I started watering them, and they started all cracking, so I just stopped. Well, yeah, the cracking is due to uh, usually it's it's watering on an irregular basis that can cause cracking in the early formation of the fruit. So in its early stages in May and June especially, if you don't adapt the watering to the weather, if you're just watering by the calendar instead of watering to the actual soil needs of the soil, then you can end up with that cracking. Right. Somebody told me you, you, you look at the tomato plant and you... If the tomato plant's telling you, hey, I need water, give it water. And if it doesn't tell you that, then you don't give it any water. And it seems like every time I walk out there, they're not screaming for water, so I don't give them any. I think a moisture meter would tell you the same thing, too. Yeah, well, it's funny. I'll stick my hand in the dirt, and it'll be just bone dry in there. But they don't seem to care. I don't know why. Well, be careful, Tim. Okay. Uh, but anyway, Prudence Purple, good answer. So I'll be sending you the terrific tomato tips as well as how to keep rats and mice out of your home. Thank you. All right, Tim. Good luck with your garden this year. Sounds like it's fabulous. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. And that takes us to caller number five. In today's Garden Grappler, it is Don in West Sacramento. So, Don, I tell you what, I think I still have at home a uh, Sacramento County Master Gardener Garden Guidance Calendar, which would work. Actually, wait a minute. You're in Yolo County, aren't you, Don? Yes. Yes, you are. So I have something special for you then, since you're in Yolo County. The uh, Redwood Barn Don Shore calendar, garden calendar. Ah, I want one. <laughs> well, move to Yolo. Is it then. like a pinup? Yeah, it's like a... Like Is Don a, in the pictures? No, just pretty flower pictures. Oh, well, I get that on his Facebook page. Yeah, well, anyway, it's a good calendar, and it's a aim towards Yolo County. So I tell you what, I'll send you the Don Shore Redwood Barn uh, calendar if you can name a... Tomato variety that includes a person's name that isn't a Juliet, a Rose, a, uh, I can't read my own writing, and uh, Prudence uh, Purple. Oh, Aunt Ginny. Aunt Ginny and Prudence Purple. Yeah, okay. So go ahead and name another one, Don. How about a Pearson? 
a Pearson tomato. I remember. You remember the Pearson? No, I do not. I, that's a. You're older than I am. Thank you. Yes, I am. Uh, the Pearson uh, was a. I think we used to grow that in our backyard in North Hollywood. Actually, actually, it was. A, it's a good. Uh, Juicy canning tomato, as I recall correctly. It's a Pearson Improved tomato. It's an heirloom uh, tomato variety. It's a long-season determinant. I think it takes 80 days uh, for maturity on this. He said sounding like he's ad-libbing, but in reality he's reading. Uh, It's uh, adapted for semi-arid regions, which is maybe why we grew it in Southern California. Uh, The fruits are red, flattened globe shape, beautifully smooth skin, average about 7 ounces, have a good taste. Was popular in the California tomato industry as a shipping and canning variety. Ah. So there you go. Yeah. Pearson's. Maybe it'll make a comeback. The Pearson improved. All right. Hey, Don, that's a good answer. I like that. I'm impressed. Oh, yeah. So I'll be I'll be sending you that uh, the uh, Redwood Barn calendar then. I tell you what, uh, Don, do you travel? Do you, do you ever get up to Folsom? Yes, once in a while. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you two tickets to the Folsom Gardens 18th Annual Garden Tour of Folsom, the Folsom Garden Club's 18th Annual Garden Tour of Folsom, coming up April 28th and 29th. And for more information about that, you can visit their website, FolsomGarden.org. But, Don, I'll send you two tickets to that. Well, that's great. Thank you. All right, Don, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. You're welcome. All right. So Bye-bye. There you go. All right. And, Juliet, I'll see if I can get you a Redwood Barn calendar. Yeah, but I want a picture of Don. You know, I love him. He's wonderful. Can I say that on the radio? Oh, yeah, you can say that. Are you listening, Don? But his head is going to explode. You know, there's some guys out and girls out in the nursery industry who are just awesome, and he is one of them. Yep. Debbie Flower. Yep. Ed Livo. Yep. You. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'll throw Steve Zion out there just because he's a cool hippie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows his stuff. And my nursery manager, Chris Acock, pretty yep, amazing. There you go. And all my employees, also amazing. There you go. Anybody else you want to mention? You know, um, I have a great staff. I really do. I have great employees. Um, Brendan has been with us. He's been on the show. I'd like to get him on the show again with you because he's really into the bonsai right now. Is he shy? Is that why he won't come on the show? No, no. He did Cactus and Succulents with yeah. you. Oh, no. He's okay. awesome. We'll no, he's you know, you. he's a UC Davis groovy kind All of right. guy. We'll drag him in here. And so he's great because he's really, having him on staff now has really expanded us and changed us into a couple different varieties of things that we're doing. And the bonsai is one of them that we're really having fun with it. Um, now, I have great employees. I mean, Sylvia handles all of our orchid questions and crazy houseplant African violet questions. Chris handles all of the maple questions. Um, I have my great, I have some great loading kids right now who I call them kids because they're younger than all of us who are just awesome and friendly. That would be most of America at this point. I'm not that old. <laughs> Remember, the median age in America, I think, is 33. I'm old. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this would all be at uh, El Dorado Nursery and Garden, wouldn't it? Yeah, everybody's there. I'm off today. All right. What's the address there? 3931 Durock Road in Shingle Springs. So we parallel the freeway. We're back right up to the freeway. We're in between the rock yard and the rock yard now. Highway 50. Highway 50, exit 37. Which is... Ponderosa Road. Ponderosa Road. Yeah, you make okay. a right and then make a right. Yeah, and you're right there. And you're right there. Okay, El Dorado Nursery and Garden. Juliet, as always, thank you for coming on the radio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely uh, love it. All right, enjoy. I'm going to the... go home and work in my yard. Oh, good for you. I think I might do that too a little bit later on. Uh, coming up, we take a little preview of the new 2018 All America Selection winners. Coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. This is the time of the year when gardeners like to peruse the garden catalogs, looking for seeds of interesting new varieties. But which ones are going to do well in your area? Well, there is one group that has done all that dirty work for you. It's the All-America Selections winners from the National Garden Bureau. And we're talking to the executive director, Diane Blazek. And Diane, let's uh, talk a little bit about the All-America Selections winner and, and how you come about choosing all these uh, great varieties. Oh, I would love to. Thank you. Um, Well, it's really up to our judges. For each of our trials, we have between 30 and 40 judges across North America, and they are the ones volunteering their time and growing out all of the entries next to comparison varieties that are already on the market, and they give the scores. So it's really up to them to tell us how it's doing in their gardens, and then it's up to our board of directors to decide if those scores are high enough to become an AES winner. Now, what's nice about your website, and we'll give the details about the website in a few minutes, is uh, you can actually look in as far as uh, who the regional winners are. So if you even wanted to narrow it down even more, you could find out that information too, couldn't you? Yes, exactly. We look at every entry first as a national winner. And if it scores well across North America, it becomes a national winner. Then we look at the regional performance. um, And if it performs well in just certain regions and not nationally, then we promote it as a regional winner. And it's really important, especially with uh, like vegetables, because a lot of vegetables are regional for a good reason, because there's different climates. So, yes, you can go on and search by national winners and then search by your region and find even additional varieties that would do well in your area. As I am very fond of saying... All gardening is local, and sure enough, there have been some All-American Selection winners that have done quite well for me over the years, such as the Juliet tomato, the Big Beef tomato, and uh, three pepper varieties, the Giant Marconi, the Mariachi, and one of my favorites that I've been planting year after year for a long time, and that's the Gypsy Sweet Pepper, and the Gypsy was an All-America Selections winner years and years ago. What is the history of the All-America Selections winners? Oh, we've been around a long time, a lot longer than what I've been around. (laughs) Um, It started in 1932 by a Southern Seedsman gentleman. His name was Ray Hastings, and it was between the two world wars. So I love this part of history that um, a lot of the breeding companies kind of took off between the two world wars. Uh, That's when a lot of hybridizing started. So uh, Ray Hastings was working for an association, and he said, my goodness, there's all these new varieties coming out. How do we know what is good or what isn't good? And so that's why he launched All America Selections and started this whole trialing process. And 80 years later, 85 years later, we're still doing things exactly the same way that he established back then. We've just broadened the types of plants that we're doing. It used to just be flowers and vegetables from seed. And now we're also doing flowers or ornamentals that are grown from vegetative cuttings. And then we also just started a perennial trial. So after 85 years, we've basically doubled the types of trials that we're doing. So let's talk about last year's All-America Selections winners. Of all of those that were chosen last year, what was the feedback that you have received on those home gardeners who have grown some of those? Oh, boy. Um, There's a lot of them. And to try to narrow it down, I would say one 
one or two of the vegetables that really got a lot of attention. One of them is called okra candle fire. What's unique about this one is number one, the coloration of it. It's a red okra. And number two, it's a round potted okra. And then I'm just going to add one more thing. This is a national winner. Um, you know, okra is typically a southern thing. Um, and there are varieties that grow all over. But this is a national winner. Everybody should be able to grow it. It is prolific. The production, the number of okra pods you're going to get off of it is huge. And then I like to throw this other little thing out that people have told me is they actually dry the pods. It produces so much. It's more than you can eat. So a lot of people are drying the pods now and using them in like dried flower arrangements. Ooh, okay. That's the candle fire okra. And I noticed in the description that it's described as being crispy and slightly sweet in salad. So I guess you can eat it raw. Eat it raw. Eat it roasted. Use it your traditional ways. Yeah, a lot of different ways to use it. There are a lot of varieties that, as you mentioned, uh, one in, in 2017. Were there any winners among the tomatoes that you uh, are getting good feedback about? Yes. Um, I kind of have a funny story about one of them, um, and I've heard it from multiple people. So we have Patio Choice Tomato, and part of the reason it's called Patio Choice is it's a very compact determinate variety um it is yellow so it produces yellow cherry tomatoes and with today's trend of smaller gardens less gardening space container gardens it is absolutely perfect for that and my funny story of it and anybody who travels much is really going to relate to this but i was traveling to a convention of garden writers and i was putting up our display booth And I had some of these in my booth, but I really only needed one variety of each. And so I had two others and I just can never throw anything away. So I had these plants. They were full of tomatoes. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon and I realized I hadn't had lunch. So I just took those two tomatoes back to the room and that was my lunch. And they were so good and tasty. So I can vouch for the flavor of these Patio Choice yellow tomatoes. Exactly. They're yellow tomatoes. And looking at the picture of it, it reminds me of the Sun Gold tomato, which is a very popular tomato in our area out here. And I imagine being a yellow cherry tomato, the Patio Choice is also quite sweet. Yes. It is very sweet. And one other thing I'll add, you know, we were talking about our AAS website. Anytime you look at one of the AS winners and you click on the details, you can always see the varieties that it was grown next to. So, for instance, this one was grown next to Little Sun Yellow and Honey Bee. So, if there's anybody out there who says, oh, you know, I love Little Sun Yellow, well, here's a new one that outperformed it. Hmm. Okay. So, let's move on to the 2018 All-America Selections winners, the ones that people will find on the seed racks at their favorite nursery or available uh, online from all sorts of seed catalogs. What are some of those uh, 2018 winners? Well, it's pretty exciting that we have a sweet corn. We have not had a sweet corn winner in about 15 years, I believe. So this one is called American Dream. And with sweet corn, they just continue to breed it for sweetness. Um, So everyone you have, it's gonna be sweeter than the last one. Uh, it's called Super Sweet, that, that type of variety. This is a bicolor. And um, as far as productivity and earliness, you know, every little one we have out there just gets a little bit better. So it's going to be a full ear of corn. You know, the parallel lines of, um, of kernels is great. 
maturity is about 77 days after planting seed. And I would challenge anybody out there to just pull it right off the stock and eat it raw right in your garden. I've done that with these and it's amazing how good they taste. It's like, please don't overcook them. Don't overboil them. It's the worst thing you can do for corn. One of my favorite treats from the garden is designing a salad with all sorts of different edible greens. And I noticed that you have one winner in 2018. That uh, family is very popular for uh, raw leaves, and that's the bok choy family. But this particular winner in 2018 is the Asian Delight Pak Choy. You, you are so right. The judges raved and raved and raved about this one, which really doesn't happen that often. But, you know, they're saying things like, well, why would we ever grow anything else? This is just perfect. So if you like pak choy or bok choy, if you want to stir fry it or like you say, uh, harvest it as baby greens for your salads, you should definitely be looking at Asian Delight. All right. What are some of the other uh, big winners that you'd like to highlight? Uh, Well, we have uh, Gypsophila, and I think that is really cool. It's been forever since we've had one of those. This is called Gypsy White Improved, and it has like a semi-double flower. A lot of people are asking, now, is this the one that's an invasive perennial? And it is not. Um, That's Gypsophila paniculata, and this one is Morales. So it's a nice little mounding annual gypsophila with tons of white flowers so that was one that was really cool that's the gypsophila muralis a relative of the more common baby's breath another thing we have is a marigold and this is called um spry or marigold superhero spry and it's a two-tone flower so it's really pretty it has the larger petals that are like burgundy and then the bright orange ones in the middle so it's a french marigold and not a lot of breeding has been done in these french marigolds but this one just came out and we're happy to be promoting it as an aas winner if people want more information about the All-America Selections winners, including sources where to purchase the seeds for these plants, and I guess now uh, the actual plants themselves in some nurseries then. Hopefully some of the more progressive nurseries will really jump on the newest winners. Sometimes you may have to ask for them, but seed is always available online. And you're right, we have a page that's called Buy AAS Winners. And our website, we have two different URLs. One is simply aaswinners.com or the official name of the organization, which is all-americaselections.org. I think I'll go with aaswinners.com. It's a lot easier to remember. (laughs) Yes, it is. Diane Blazek, Executive Director of All-America Selections for the National Garden Bureau. Thanks for telling us about the 2018 winners. Thank you very much, and stay tuned for new ones coming up later this year. Coming up, we are going to have a look at upcoming garden events, including events going on today of interest to gardeners, and a lot more as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Lots of garden events going on, including today. We're at that time of year where spring garden events are in full steam ahead mode. For instance, Steve Zion is representing Our Water, Our World. You know, Steve, we've had him on the show a lot. Uh, Sacramento's organic organic advocate. And he is at Tallini's Nursery today until 3 o'clock at 5601 Folsom Boulevard. And he's offering up... uh, a lot of great river-friendly gardening practices that will yield a beautiful, healthy, 
pest-resistant landscape and garden. And then next Saturday, you'll be at West Sacramento's Earth Day Festival at City Hall at 1110 West Capitol Avenue in West Sac, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. next Saturday. Going on right now at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center until 4 o'clock, it's the American Bonsai Associations, the Sacramento branch. There's 59th annual bonsai show. Demonstrations are going on at 1.30 as well. It's free, free admission, free parking. They have a daily benefit raffle as well, plus uh, sales going on of bonsai products and bonsai plants. The 59th annual bonsai show going on right now at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento until 4 o'clock today. The Orchid Society uh, show and exotic plant sale is going on right now as well until 4 o'clock. And that's at the Scottish Rite Masonic Center across from Sac State at the uh, corner of H and Carlson, basically. 6151 H Street, Sacramento. And uh, there is a $10 admission free. And if you want more information about all the beautiful orchids you'll see there, visit their website, sacramentoorchids.org. Going on until 4 o'clock today, the Orchid Society's annual orchid show and exotic plant sale at the Scottish Rite Center. And uh, let's see what else is going on. Uh, Until 1 o'clock, not much time left, at the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway, they're selling some cuttings of some historic old roses going on there. It's uh, the Historic Rose Collection. They've uh, propagated something like 500 rose plants from their rare and historic collection that will be offered for sale, uh, or what's left of it right now from 11 until 1 o'clock. And uh, you'll find it all there at 10th and Broadway at the uh, Sacramento Historic City Cemetery. Just uh, look for the roses, and there's plenty there. Also going on today from 2 until 4 o'clock over in Davis at the Mary Stevens Library, uh, which is at 315 East 14th Street in Davis. They're having an open forum and two mini presentations put on by the Master Gardeners of Yolo County. They'll be talking about what to seed directly in the garden, as well as how to select seed and transplant the seedlings in the garden. Plus, they'll be answering your gardening questions. It's free. Going on today, 2 until 4 o'clock. Coming up this Wednesday, it's sort of a, a joint meeting between the Master Gardeners and the Master Food Preservers of Sacramento County. And they're going to be talking about what you can do with herbs. And there's a lot you can do with herbs. They're going to explore the culinary herbs that grow well in our area how to grow them, when to harvest, and how to preserve them to use in meals throughout the year. And it's not just uh, the herbs you're familiar with. They're going to talk about preserving and using carrot leaves, beet greens, spinach, chard, and a lot more. And there's a lot of edible greens out there that you may not be aware of. So once again, it's put on by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners and the Master Food Preservers. It is this Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., at the Cooperative Extension Office at 4145 Branch Center Road in Sacramento, $5, uh, payable at the door. You can call them uh, Monday or Tuesday for more information at 916-875-6913. Coming up next Friday and Saturday, Butte College Environmental Hort Department is going to have its annual spring blowout plant sale. When I say hort, I mean horticulture. Let there be no confusion. All right. It's a 9 to 3 next Friday and Saturday. All plants will be 30% off with specially marked items 50% off. Early bird specials, too. The Butte College Environmental Horticulture Department, 3536 Butte Campus Drive in Oroville, 9 to 3 next Friday and Saturday.
The uh, Amador County Master Gardeners have a class on raising backyard chickens. If you're ready to start raising your chickens and you live out down there, you may want to uh, attend that class going on in Jackson at the GSA building at 12200 Airport Road in Jackson. That's next Saturday from 9 until noon. You may want to check that out. Next Saturday and Sunday, the Sacramento Iris Society has its 68th annual show and sale of many beautiful and different irises, and that'll be going on at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard. It's a free program, by the way. Uh, the Basics of Pressure Canning, next Saturday, April 21st, 10 until 2, and that is going on at uh, down in Stockton. Uh, and for more information, you can uh, contact the uh, Master Food Preservers of San Joaquin County for more information about that next uh, Saturday, 10 to 2. There is a $25 fee, and you and it's all about pressure canning. And that, I believe, will be at the Cooperative Extension Office there in San Joaquin County. Next Saturday, April 21st, 6 to 8 p.m., the Old City Cemetery has a tour coming up called Romance and Roses. It's $20 per ticket. You'll walk through pathways covered in roses while you hear tales of love and years gone by. And that's all going on at the Sacramento Historic City Cemetery, 6 to 8 p.m. next Saturday, April 21st. And there may even be some daylight left at 8 p.m., being that it will be April 21st. All right, what else is going on? We uh, found out about that. Oh, we did it. All right, just in time, too. All right, don't forget, stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour. That's coming up. California's farmers are scrambling to find foreign customers for their produce. Goods that were earmarked for China, but with the U.S.-China tariff battle escalating day by day, there's a lot of uncertainty for the state's farmers, and they're looking for markets for their crops. The Metropolitan Water District, interestingly enough, is <laughs> going to finance the Delta Tunnels somehow. Uh, but we speak uh, with uh, the Delta Tunnel oppositions who tell us why. Maybe that won't come across. So all that's coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour. Crop reports as well. Thank you for listening to this program. I certainly appreciate your support all these 26 years of doing Get Growing. And if they let me, I'll be back next week, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Have a great week. Bye-bye.